Good morning. So I am from Beacon Church in Brixton, South London, led by Owen Hilton. And I um, and there I'm very involved in pastoral care. But I also co-lead a charity called Orchards. Um, and at Orchards we work with women who've experienced sexual exploitation. So that might be through prostitution. That might be through trafficking for sexual purposes. Or trafficking for another reason, where there's also been sexual abuse. So we provide safe housing that's linked to a local church, counselling and wraparound support. And we um, set up our first safe property in spring of this year. So we're learning an awful lot constantly. Before we get started, there's a couple of things in the media that I'm sure you guys um, have have probably, quite likely you would have seen. Um, First one, did you catch this story? Is that familiar? No? Yes? Some... Maybe not? Okay. So um, this is actress Bella Thorne and Whoopi Goldberg, who's probably a bit more familiar. Um, So the story um, that came out in the media maybe a couple of months ago, Bella Thorne was being blackmailed about having naked pictures of her posted online. Um, And we often hear about that, don't we? Sort of so-called revenge porn. And the fear of shame um, can sometimes result in suicide. Um, Bella Thorne didn't Um, respond in that way. She responded in a way that might be a bit controversial. She um, posted the photos of herself online. So an act of defiance maybe, saying, you know, you won't have that control over me. I'm going to choose to post the photos. She was then heavily criticised by Whoopi Goldberg. And then the whole thing sparked a massive row on social media, as these things do. Now, I would not try to justify one side or another at all. These things are complex, aren't they? And they're really, really messy. But something we can see here is some of the dynamics that play out when our sexualized culture hits identities and then brokenness comes out of that. So girls and women in particular are told from a very, very young age, your value is in your sexuality, in your sexiness. And by the way, this is what it looks like. And then others in their brokenness can respond to that um, by labelling. And we know what some of those labels are, don't we? We don't need to repeat them. And then there are other broken responses, of course, that we can, that we can see. So brokenness might play out in, in hating the opposite sex, or it might um, play out in hiding who, um, um, who we are. Um, it plays out in a myriad of ways. Okay. Another quick example from the media we've seen recently. Anyone catch this story? Yeah? I keep a bit more familiar with that one. Okay, cool. So just to recap, um, there were some girls at Warwick University who discovered that the guys in their friendship group had a lads chat um, on social media for 18 months. And in that lads chat, they were, they were describing brutally raping those girls. And initially, the girls didn't want to do anything because actually this was their friends, you know, it was their friends. But they were becoming increasingly anxious, increasingly fearful. And so they did report it to the uni. It wasn't initially dealt with, but then there was a big pushback on social media and quite a lot of national media attention. See these clips from the, from the BBC website. And then it was dealt with. And, you know, we could say, couldn't we, these girls weren't actually hurt. No one touched them. What's the big deal? You know, um... But the girls experienced quite a lot of trauma from this. 
And then we know, don't we, from a faith perspective, that our thought life matters. And we know, don't we, that our words have power. So we can't just kind of brush this off as, um, as a little bit of banter. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, sexualization and culture. Sexualization and identity. And so, that, so although, you know, it's Friday morning, we've been camping all week and we're tired, I'm excited. I'm excited because for the, um, the women referred to us as um, at orchards and some of those I've had the real privilege to come alongside pastorally. A lot of this stuff happens, starts in childhood and it starts in adolescence. So within the UK, just as an example, 50% of the women involved in prostitution in this country entered below the age of 18. So the age of those that are here at New Day. And so thinking about how do we really engage with young people? How do we come alongside them so they're not conformed to the patterns of the sex-saturated culture, but we're creating places where they're enabled to be renewed um, their minds are renewed in line with what God says. I think that's quite exciting, yeah? And guys, just to say that if you are beginning to panic, feel nervous, this is going to be a seminar um, where we're really bashing men, relax. (laughs) That's not where we're going at all, and that is certainly not my heart. There may be some um, some of you here who weren't aware we were going to talk about this stuff, but you are here. I'm so thankful that you are. You know, I believe we've got a sovereign God, haven't we? And so if you're here, I feel like there's a purpose in that. And my prayer is that you are more equipped to go and walk with young people who are struggling with some of these things when you leave New Day. And there were others of you who were aware I was going to talk about these things. And you're here anyway. And I'm really thankful for you too. Because some of the challenges we can find on these issues is that they're uncomfortable, right? They feel uncomfortable. And so we don't want to engage. But unless we do, we're not able to come alongside young people who are already struggling with some of these things. They're not new issues. And they're not new issues, even though they may seem new. They're kind of playing out differently, maybe, in the the theatre of social media. Because if you've internalised an identity that's been shaped by the messages of your culture, you can project that identity on your profile. Porn is incredibly accessible, we know this, don't we, from a really young age. And there's there's different things we're seeing, like, you know, sexting, texting um, intimate um, pictures to someone, upskirting, taking pictures up someone's skirt without their permission, posting it um, online. And then we also see um, challenge being brought to some of these things on social media as well. So not new issues, they're just playing out differently. And you know, my, my prayer, my real hope is that this talk would build up, not tear down, that it would be edifying. And I don't know everyone here, but I do know that you're at Youth Culture Seminar at New Day. And so I, I know that you have a heart for young people. And I know there are some awesome churches and youth groups represented here. And so, yeah, so I just pray that God really meets with you. And please bear with me if at times some of the subject matter, it feels a bit uncomfortable. Okay? Okay. So before we um, 
we get stuck in. I just want to look at a passage in 1 Timothy 5. I'm going to tell some stories and then we're going to explore together how do we engage with young people on these issues. Okay. Um, So, passage we're all really familiar with, I'm sure. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. I love that, don't you? So it's this beautiful picture of family within a church context. It's this beautiful picture of kingdom culture playing out in a church, what what the potential for that. And yet we know the reality for, for so many young people, and maybe for some of ourselves, can be, um, um, can be different from that. But I suppose the main, um, the main thrust, of, thrust of what I'm talking about today, I guess, is that how do we create um, those, a culture within our churches that, that looks a bit like this? So that in that context, young people can be transformed in line with that kingdom culture rather than in line with the external sexualized culture. So I'm just going to, I'm going to pray um, and then we'll look at that in a bit more, in a bit more detail. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here. God, I thank you that um, your light shines in the darkness and in this topic we can be overwhelmed by, um, by the darkness sometimes. But I pray that instead we will be overwhelmed by you. I thank you for every man and woman that is here today and I pray that you would meet with them. I pray that they would feel your presence, even if we're talking about some difficult stuff. Um, And I pray that when they leave, that they will be more equipped to engage with young people and that there will be fruit in in their churches and their youth groups of seeing young people walk into freedom in their identities and in their relationships. In Jesus' name. Okay. Cool. Right. Hashtag me too. You familiar with this? Yeah? Okay. So just, um, I'm sure you've heard a lot about it, but just so we're all on the same page. It started a couple of years ago when allegations um, of sexual abuse, sexual harassment against a well-known director started to come out. And then more and more celebrities started coming forward saying, yeah, me too. That happened to me. And then this um, hashtag was posted on Twitter. If you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write me too as a reply to this tweet. So this phrase um, was tweeted around midday on October um, 15th, 2017. And it had been used more than 200,000 times by the end of that day. And then tweeted more than 500,000 times by the end of the next day. On Facebook, the hashtag was used by more than 4.7 million people in 12 million posts just during the first 24 hours. And it then spread worldwide with similar movements springing up in um, Spain and Latin America and other parts of the world. And, you know, it became controversial, didn't it? And it provoked a whole range of emotional reactions. 
for some, there was relief. Finally, we're acknowledging the scale of this issue and we're saying it is not okay. And then it was also heavily criticised, wasn't it? You know, in particular, that men were being found guilty before anything was even proven and that the whole thing vilified men. And you know, there's probably some valid points on both sides. But one thing it did do was act like a cultural magnifying glass, saying, you know, we have got a problem here. Because the volume of of women and girls in particular coming forward saying, yeah, me too, that happened to me, couldn't be ignored. And then, of course, there there would have been many that had had those experiences but didn't post it online, didn't want to for whatever reason. And actually, I'd be in that um, category. So to a, to a certain extent, um, that I could have added my, my voice to the Me Too cries, and I didn't at the time, um, partly because I had three kids pretty close together, so I just wasn't spending hours of my time on social media. Partly because, if I'm really honest, I didn't want to be seen to be attention-seeking, And that is kind of a symptom of the problem. But also because God has done such an amazing work of healing in my life, in my heart, in my mind, in this area, that I just wasn't on my mind. Just wasn't my story anymore. But I am going to share a few stories this morning. Why? Because... As we've said, this um, the whole movement it highlighted an issue, much like if you're not well, you go to the hospital, you have a scan, you see there's a problem. But it didn't show us how to treat it. It didn't show us how to navigate that with God or equip us to um, support those who have had those experiences. So that's what I want to. That's what I want to look at. Okay. And as, I'm, as I am saying this, I am acutely aware that there are far more extreme stories than my own. Yeah, um, many of the women that are referred to us as orchard, um, at orchards, some of the really brave um, individuals I've had the privilege of praying with pastorally, and, you know, potentially some in this room. But those stories aren't my stories to tell. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to tell my own, and then we're going to look at. Okay, so what does that mean when we're when we're working with young people and these things are coming up? Okay, cool. So I became Christian when I was 20. I'm now 36, um, and I was an atheist before that. So um, faith, God, just was not on my radar. I thought the whole thing was ridiculous. My first kind of me too type experience if you like I was probably 13 I probably looked a lot younger than that and I was out shopping with a friend of mine and a grown man came up to me and he said I bet you haven't been broken in yet I'll break you in and I felt quite scared felt quite disgusted and and you know I knew what he meant I secondary school, I went to an all-girls school and I was bullied throughout secondary school. So I left there feeling that there was something fundamentally wrong with me. And at sixth form, I then went from an all-girls school 
to an all-boys school. So I went from being the least popular person that I knew to one of the most popular people I knew because <laughs> I let a handful of girls in based on ratio. So I was surrounded by boys whose views of girls, of women, up to that point had been shaped by porn. And actually, I was exposed to quite a lot of porn while I was at sixth form. You know, this was the kind of Stone Age pre-iPhones, but... Um, so it was all kind of DVDs and magazines and that sort of stuff. And I wasn't into it myself. But what it did do was start, was start to shape and distort my view of what it meant to be a woman and what it meant to be attractive. And deep down, I kind of figured, okay, when, it was, when I was at a girls' school, it was all about who I was, my personality. No one really liked me. Now I'm getting loads of attention, but the only thing that's important is how I look. And so that became so much of a value that I had an eating disorder that went out of control. I, the guys in my sixth form had constant best this body part, best that body part lists. And I knew exactly where I was on each part of those lists because I was being told. And, I, um, and it distorted my values to the point where I would check out girls quicker than most guys I knew. Not because I was attracted, but because I was comparing myself by part by part. And my values became so messed up that I remember after a couple of um, years of that, someone put me on best personality, I think, to be nice to me at one point. And I was offended <laughs> because my values were just so... Um, had just gone out the window. Um, I had um, relationships when I was at sixth form and there was stuff in the context of relationships um, that I didn't want to do. And I remember one time there was a guy at sixth form and he told me that my boyfriend had cheated on me and when I was upset he then forced himself on me. And I didn't fight but I didn't consent, I just kind of went numb because it was so much easier just to zone out. And then I stayed numb. So my first year at uni, um, I really didn't care what happened to me. I hated myself. Um, I kind of eating disorder had spiralled totally out of control. And I used to do really crazy stuff like go jogging in the middle of the night off my face because I just didn't care what happened. And then after a series of events of God pursuing me, really, because I wasn't pursuing him, I asked Jesus into my life and he filled me with the most amazing love I'd ever experienced. But with regards to kind of me too type stuff, not a huge amount changed. So like many, many girls and, and women from my early teens past the point when I became Christian, probably to my mid-twenties, I was constantly being beeped at. So maybe that's just being instructed to smile. Maybe that's um, having comments about various parts of your body, being told things that people want to do, being followed home. I literally have no idea how many times I've been groped by random people, kind of on public transport, in swimming pools, just out and about. No idea. On several occasions, I've had men masturbate in front of me on public transport, once doing that whilst following me home, um, once outside my house at, um, at uni when I got home, and then once, really scarily, when somebody was driving me, uh, driving me home and I was alone in their car. Um, and a couple of occasions I've had to fight my way um, from, uh, away from people who I thought were my friends when a situation flipped like that and they didn't stop when I said no.
So I'll stop there in terms of examples. I think you get the, you get the picture. Um, when I was 24, so obviously I'd been Christian for four years by this point, I stopped feeling numb. And all of a sudden, everything started coming up for me. And I felt angry. So I remember being in coffee shops with a friend and chatting to her, but all I could see was a guy on top of me and I wanted to scream, get off. I also remember being on the tube and seeing guys look at porn and I wanted to punch them, but I didn't because I'm five foot three. <laughs> and, um, and I was saying, God, why is this coming up now? Why is this coming up now? And he said to me, I'm bringing it up because I want to heal you. And so I met with a couple of women from my church regularly um, for a while. It was a church I was at at the time. And I prayed with them. And I encountered God's father heart for me. I encountered him as the God who sees me. And I heard him say that to him, I was worth what he went through to get me back. And I chose to forgive the guys that had hurt me. Not because it meant that it was okay, because it wasn't okay. And we need to be clear about that. But because God asks us to forgive, doesn't he? And also, that was a gateway to him then being able to really heal me. So he healed my feelings of shame, the there is something fundamentally wrong with me. He healed my memories, the kind of flashbacks of that stuff stopped. And then one day, I heard him say to me, and that's my son's that you are hating. Ouch. <laughs> because my experience of guys up to that point had not been great. But I began to develop a lot of all men are, all boys are negative thought patterns. And they were not in line with how God saw his sons who were made in his image. And so I had to repent of that. And I, I started a process of meditating on truth and renewing my mind. So I would be literally daily just going over men of God's sons and they're made in his image. And it was hard. It was hard because my experience was still telling me other things when I walked down the street. And I had to renew my mind about how I saw women because I was so indoctrinated into comparing so I'd be out and about on public transport and I would start comparing myself to someone else because I'd almost been trained to do that. And then I would say no in my head. <laughs> Women are God's daughters. They're made in his image. Because God made, made me, I'm valuable and special and so is she and so I bless her. Or someone would make an inappropriate comment to me and the anger would start and I'd do my kind of all oh, men and I'd say no again in my head. Men are God's sons, and they're made in his image. And I choose to trust you, God, to bring men into my life who treat me with dignity and respect. And do you know what? He did. Not immediately. But God used men powerfully in different ways in me healing. So I remember um, a Christian guy, quite young, once said to me, when are you going to stop seeing yourself as a piece of meat and start seeing yourself as someone worth dying for? And that stuck with me. And there's been points where I've had guys say, I'm sorry that happened, that was not okay. I also remember 12 years ago, um, I started um, being involved in other projects, working with women involved in prostitution. And I was on a training course. 
And on that day, we were looking at the demand side. So, and we were looking at the stats of the number of men who pay for sex. And there was a guy there who was also on the course. And he said immediately, that is absolutely unacceptable. And hearing a male voice say that, for me, was very, very healing. Because then that starts to change the culture. It starts to change the narrative. It's not all men are. It's brokenness can look like this. But that's not what God says about his sons. And there's a difference. And then, after a period of, um, of being single, God brought my husband into my life. And some of you here know him. And he does treat me with dignity and respect. And actually, in my church, I'm treated like a, a daughter, a sister, a mother to some of the younger ones. And that's my norm. And so even though now I work with um, women who've experienced fairly horrific gender-based violence... I can do that without it touching on my own pain. Partly because God's healed me, but also because not only do I know biblically that the all men are thing isn't true, my experience tells me something completely different. Don't you love that about God? That he can transform mindsets and hearts, and then from that place he can transform relationships. So although we can be... um, overwhelmed by the darkness and the pain and the stories when we look at um, when we look at this um, subject I just want to encourage us to be overwhelmed by God's light I think it's a little bit off script but that was what I was praying this morning just to be overwhelmed by God's light because his potential to transform and bring transformation in this is amazing so my prayer again as we look at this is that we will be overwhelmed by that and not by the um, not by the darkness okay so, if I were sitting in this seminar right now, insert in, um, um, sort of insight into um, my inner musings, I would be thinking, okay, you have presented a pretty imbalanced view of men as perpetrators, women as victims, but the whole issue is far more nuanced than that. And if you are thinking that, then I agree with you. <laughs> so I want to address that really briefly before we start to look at how we engage with young people. Okay. So on the one hand, I think we do need to briefly recognise that an imbalance is one of the dynamics of our sexualised culture. So um, I'm just going to start. Um, I th- Every one in five women in England and Wales have experienced some type of sexual assault since the age of 16. And the UK police receive a call every minute about domestic abuse. 89% of this are about a woman being abused by a man. So we do need to recognise that there is an an imbalance. However, there will be um, boys, men in our churches that have experienced sexual abuse. Maybe that have experienced body shaming. We have a friend of ours who's a secondary teacher and he, he told us a couple of years ago that for the first time he was starting to see boys self-harm because of online body shaming. So body image issues in relation to this, the need to have your value in being, being sexy or being attractive and that looking like a particular way. Sexual abuse, they're not exclusively female issues and we need to name that to give um, the the men, the boys in our churches, the permission to be able to come forward um, 
and talk about some of those things. Equally, there may be girls in our churches struggling with lust, struggling with porn. And we need to name that too. Because if we don't, then girls will have nowhere to go. And that will push them further into shame. So I want to acknowledge that. And then, of course, not every story of pain or brokenness in this area is a Me Too story. And brokenness from, um, from in the context of a sexualized culture, as we've seen, it plays out in different ways. So maybe that plays out in um, flirting. Maybe that plays out in overtly sexualized behavior. Maybe that plays out in hating the opposite sex. Plays out in a myriad of ways. And then, of course, this whole topic can't be divorced from the wider narrative, the wider dialogue that we've got at the moment around gender and identity. But we don't have time to unpack that, and there's, and there's far more experienced people who can speak into that. I think there was a seminar yesterday. Um, so, we're going to look at how do we begin to um, engage with young people in some of these things. And I'm going to present principles. I'm not going to present a one-size-fits-all. If you do these nine things in this exact way, then you'll be sorted. Because you will know what will work best in your churches, in your context, in your communities. And then, of course, what would work with one young person wouldn't work with another anyway, would it? So I'm going to present um, general principles, but you are the experts of your your settings and, and how that would best fit. Cool. So, first point, being aware of and willing to um, deal with our own issues in this area. Now, I get it. This is a seminar um, about how do we support young people, not how do we deal with our own stuff. I I get that. But I also want to recognise that there may be some of us here who, if we're really honest... It maybe have historically been the cause of a me too. Or maybe we are struggling with porn. And we do need to be able to bring that to God. Because if we don't, it will hold us back from being fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Yeah? And if that um, if that is you, then I just encourage you to, A, know that his grace is enough. I know that you're probably saying that over and over again to your young people, but just knowing that in this moment that his grace is enough and just to encourage you to find a space or um, where you can process that, you can really deal with that with God for your own heart, but also so that you're able to work more effectively and, and be... Um, and build that kind of kingdom family culture in your churches. And I also want to acknowledge that there may be some of us here who have our own Me Too experiences. And I just want to say into that, first of all, I'm sorry that happened. It was not okay. But also just to encourage you, if that is coming up, to find a space where you can deal with that. Definitely for your own heart and your own walk with God. But also because if um, secondary to that, if you don't, then when you're coming alongside young people who are having those experiences, it will always touch on your own pain. Yeah. Secondly, being willing to act like family. So we saw at the beginning that verse in Timothy, that um, vision of um, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters in all purity. 
and just the main point of this talk that we would seek to create cultures within our churches that look like that kingdom culture so that it is easier for young people to be transformed by the renewal of their minds in line with that because they're seeing it rather than conforming to the patterns of the sexualized culture that they're seeing which is kind of easy to say but a lot harder to do right and of course, we know, don't we, one form of dysfunction would be inappropriate boundaries and abuse. We're aware of that. Another, perhaps less obvious dysfunction might be that there's no real communication between fathers and daughters or brothers and sisters. No real relationship. But men, for example have a massive role, a really powerful role to play in women and, and young girls healing from Me Too type experiences. Being treated with respect as a sister or a daughter. Having real normal conversations with a man um, that are non-sexual can be really, really restorative and it can create a new norm. And actually that can decrease vulnerability to the same things happening again. Because if that's your norm, then you can smell sort of disrespectful behaviour a mile off. Now obviously we do need to be smart about this um, and have boundaries. But we do need to find ways of doing that. Because if we don't, then we inadvertently reinforce the idea that the only way men can relate to women and girls is sexually or not at all. We unwittingly reinforce the women's value is in their, their sexuality and um, lies. And we also reinforce the all men are lies. And I know that there are many wonderful, godly fathers, brothers, mothers and sisters in this room with the potential to create a culture where healing and transformation can happen. Now, shocking revelation... I am clearly not a male pastor <laughs> leading a church with women in it, okay? However, I have seen Owen Hilton at Beacon do this really well. So in our church office, there's um, a woman and a man who work full-time. And there are two women, myself included, who work for the church one day a week. And... Um, because of our roles, he meets with us individually, um, discussing what we're doing in terms of work, and also there's a degree of discipleship that happens in that context. Equally, um, there's um, a, a girl at our church who's lost her dad, and he's been quite intentional about fathering her. And there's no confusion of what's going on. There's, um, the boundaries are very, very clear. Um, I know um, from meeting with Owen, I lead the pastoral team, so I find it really helpful to process some of the things that are coming up. And I also know he's talking to his wife, Pauline, about some of the things I'm saying, and I'm totally cool with that. I talk to her too. And there's some things I would not talk to Owen about <laughs> because it wouldn't, be it wouldn't be appropriate. The boundaries are very clear. And so I asked him, what do you have in place to do that well? And so he told me that there's always a context to the conversation. 
You know, much like if you go to the GP, you might talk, you might sort of say things in that context that you maybe wouldn't say if you met the same person in a different context because it wouldn't be appropriate. So you're, so there's a context to the conversation. It's not just randomly meeting with women. That's the first thing. Secondly, he's accountable to his wife, Pauline, and another elder at the church. Um, and you know, personally, as I've said, that being treated like a daughter, being treated like a, like a sister, also by other other guys at church, that's my norm. And so that um, I couldn't go to the all men are place if I tried. Next point. You guys are probably doing that this week. Pursue relationship even through challenging behavior. So if you're here with a youth group, that's probably been your reality, right? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we hear you. Um, so anger, for example, is a completely normal response to abuse and harassment. You need to hear that. It's a completely normal response. We don't want people to stay in that. We don't want, of course... But sometimes we, um, when anger comes up or when the anger towards the opposite sex in particular comes up, we can naturally want to withdraw. Maybe we even dismiss it. Angry feminism. But I would encourage us instead to move in, to ask, what's the story behind this? Why is that? Why do you feel like that? And then really listen until we hear Equally, um, responding in a sexualized way, whatever, however that plays out, it's a very natural response to being told from a very young age that um, your value, and I'm, I'm, and I'm including boys and girls in this, your value is in your attractiveness. And whilst, again, we don't want people to stay in that, we need to be really careful that we're not judging um you know because if we're seeing people struggling with porn or if we're seeing flirting or whatever it is um it can be very easy for our own stuff our own judgment to come up and yes we need to model something differently yes we need to teach into something that's different but we also need to first and foremost be a window into the god who sees them and knows them and accepts them as they are because that just that being heard and being known in that and being accepted in that that might that just might be the beginning of a journey of healing okay next point being willing to lift the lid on the conversation now I know that some of the things I've just said in this context are not Sunday preach material (laughs) so I get that but we do need to find forums where we can lift the lid on some of these things because they're not new issues to to young people they're not and so we need to find forums where we can discuss them um openly and you know appropriately and point people to Jesus from that place of being real and you guys will know where that would best sit within your churches so I don't I don't want to sort of make suggestions as to where that sits but it does need to happen because if we don't then um, we are pushing people further into a place of shame okay 
helping young people to heal from shame. So we've been, I've noticed this, I don't know if you you noticed it in the big top, um, we've been um, singing about freedom from shame an awful lot. And in this area, that is, um, shame can be so acute. So if someone is struggling with an addiction to porn, if someone has had sexual experiences that they regret, if someone has been sexually abused or harassed, if they've been labelled in any way, if they've been body shamed, then that feeling of shame can stick and it can shape their identity and it can trap them in the addiction, it can trap them in the hurt and it can trap them in the pain and in the memories. You know, guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame says, there is something fundamentally wrong with me. And if you knew this about me, you would reject me. And so it traps us. And so we need to name some of these things and then point people to the cross and know that his grace is enough to cover your shame as well as your sin. You know, I mean, we know, all know in the psalm that it says that those who hope in him, who trust in him will never be put to shame. That we need to, from this place, in a non-judgmental way, lead young people to the place where they can experience healing, not just from the things that have happened, but from the resulting shame that has shaped their identities. Okay. Helping young people to renew their minds, challenging the labels. Sure, we can all reel off um, Romans 12, talking about the renewal of our mind. And we, need, may, we may, may need to renew our own minds in terms of some of the way we see each other. Challenge young, um, young people to do the same. You know, we've seen the um, father, son, mother, brother, sister, Timothy culture that we've talked about. Yet still, outside the church, we, we are called to view all men, all boys, as God's sons made in his image. We're called to view all women all girls as God's daughters made in his image. And so that includes those that are in porn. That includes those who may be responding to brokenness in in this area in different ways, whether that's anger towards the opposite sex or whatever it is. Young people may have been labelled. They may may have labelled others. Maybe we have been. Maybe we've done the same. Maybe we've categorised people, you know, nice Christian girl or some of the other labels. But, you know, we are all so much more than those labels. We were never meant to wear them and we were never meant to put them on other people because that then just reinforces the culture. And then finally... Pointing young people to relationship with God and life through the Spirit. So we know we read in Galatians to walk by the Spirit so we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And we need to be reliant on the Spirit as we're in this. I'm sure if we were to go around this room, there would be story after story of times of when we've tried to do something in our own strength and it hasn't worked. And then we've relied on God and he's just done something. You know, personally, I unlearn that and learn that every day. I'd love to just stay in the place of remembering it. <laughs> it would kind of, you know, it would 
save a lot of hassle, wouldn't it? Um, but we need to be sensitive to the spirit as we minister to, um, to young people in this area. And trust him to move. And also point them to relationship with him rather than ourselves and a new set of rules. Because that can be quite easy to do. If you do have these things in place, then you'll be able to walk in purity. Now, there may be some wisdom in some of those things. But really, we need to point people to relationship with God to being f- and pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because then he puts new identities on people's hearts. He puts his finger on memories and people that we need to forgive, even though it's really, really hard. He shows us where there's labels that maybe we've believed about ourselves or other people. He reveals to us what he says about us and what is the labels that he has over us. Yeah. So, and there can be real temptation in this area to try and rescue, have a bit of a saviour complex. (laughs) So what do I mean by that? There might be periods of time or points where we need to get someone out of a situation. You know, um, it's worth saying that when we delve into some of these issues, safeguarding, child protection stuff comes up. And so we need to be very clear on our processes on that. But we, we don't go on rescuing. And it can be very easy to want to do that because when someone's really hurting, you want to, everything in you wants to make it all better. But we need to pastorally or in terms of the support we put around people have a focus of we are I'm coming alongside you and I'm pointing you to him because he's a counsellor. Has anyone ever tried to renew someone else's mind? <laughs> we might want to sometimes, but you can't do it, can you? You know, I'm responsible for renewing my own mind. I can um, talk to someone about how I've done that. Maybe we can teach into Romans 12. Maybe we can take someone through freedom in Christ. But we can't do it for them. You know, um, and it's life and the spirit that empowers us because our, we know our desires change, don't they? And then he gives us the courage and strength to walk through things. So that has to be the focus that we point young people to him constantly, to relationship with God, to life through the spirit and to that place of surrender where they're giving all of themselves, not just their sexuality, but all of themselves to him And then there's a potential for transformation in individuals' hearts and minds. And then there's potential for transformation in relationships. And then in in our churches and then in our culture. And then wouldn't it be amazing that in our culture, even people on the outside are so overwhelmed by the light because they're seeing into this new kingdom culture that they have drawn into that So I'm going to pray to close before we move into questions. And I'm I'm really conscious that I've touched on some tricky things, maybe some hard to hear things. Um, And I'm going to pray now, but I think there will be time at the end if anyone did want prayer, either for yourselves or also for people who you are supporting pastorally. I think there are people who would love to do that. I'm really happy to um, to stay around and I'd love to pray for you guys as well. But I'm going to just pray now quickly before we move into questions. Yeah. God, I thank you that there is power in your name and that your light is so much more impressive than the darkness. 
And I pray that we and our young people would be dazzled by the light to such an extent that the darkness has to flee. I thank you that there is power in your name for transformation and healing and forgiveness for some of the things that we can write off as unforgivable. I pray for every man and woman here that you would anoint them to walk into greater freedom in this area and to, and to lead others into a place of greater freedom that you would create in, in our churches, in our communities across the country, your kingdom, um, your kingdom culture, that your kingdom would come in our culture and that people would be dazzled by your light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank Emma. Wow. Thank you so much for your openness and, and just leading us through that. I, f- I feel undone. I don't know about you. I feel undone as a parent. I feel undone as a youth worker. I feel undone as a, a man that just feel like a rising up of just like that thing of just like no and, and wanting to stand and, and protect and oh, just thank you so much. Okay, we've got some questions. We've We've got nine minutes and seven questions so we'll see how we get on so the the first one was how would you equip young people boys and girls to challenge situations that they find themselves in where sexualization is demonstrated e.g comments made in school banter um, before it gets serious and there was another question about it how should someone respond to a cat calling so if someone's kind of doing that should they challenge it or should they ignore it that's too um, different questions. The first one, someone asked, a young person asked that exact question um, in the big top actually. So how can we, when young people want to um, challenge um, this kind of thing or they're noticing it's coming up, what can they do? Because obviously you're, you're you know, surrounded by your friends, it's not, it's not easy. Um, I think one, when I, uh, I had a really good chat with a, a boy in the big top about this and we talked about in those, com- in those moments... You know, rather than, well, I think that is wrong. Da, 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 da. I mean, you can do that, but it might not. That it might not work if, say, you're 15. I'm praying, Holy Spirit, would you come into this conversation? Because when, and I sometimes do that when I'm talking to people who are moaning a lot. <laughs> uh, Holy Spirit, would you come into this conversation? Would you give me wisdom? Because when His Spirit is speaking through you, um, then you can be an atmosphere changer within that. And then from that place, um, you know, he gives you wisdom to know what to say. And you know, sometimes it might be that you are to boldly speak out and say something different. It might not be. It depends on the, it depends on the situation. But, I, um, you know, I would encourage young men to do that because there's power in that. But I think starting from a place rather than giving someone a script of, you know, pray, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do in this situation? Whether it's just pray or whether it's to say something and act differently, you know, um, or you might need to walk away. What, you know, it, I think it would be very situation, situation. But the one thing I would say is start from that point of asking him. Second question, catcalling. Yeah, I've tried out various different um, <laughs> things that I wouldn't re- recommend. Um, I think probably the best thing is to just walk away, actually. Um, if you shout back, it feeds into people's issues if you try and talk rationally it feeds into people's issues you're better off just walking away yeah just walking away but there's if there's things that people have said that have stuck because words can stick can't they then pray about it and pray for them um but shouting back or marching up to cars and shouting into their window it's not a good idea (laughs) doesn't work yeah (laughs) 
Thank you. Okay, so when it comes to young people, when in regards to age and how should we talk to them about the realities of sexual abuse, sexual dangers, cultural sexual issues in the light of God and his sovereignty? Yeah, as a parent, that's a tricky one. <laughs> yeah, I sort of hear that question with a parent, you know, hat on as, w- as well. I suppose the reality is in schools now, they're, they're talking about it at a really young age anyway. So my five-year-old, well, my, my daughter is now six, but when she was in reception, she came home saying, nobody should touch my... You know, um, and um, we were, and but we hadn't had any warning, <laughs> so we were, you know, talking around. They're, they're talking about it in schools, and so I think then you need to engage. I mean, I, you know, um, you need to engage because if you don't, the messages are coming from there, um, and they're not coming from here, and then you won't be seen as the source of knowledge on it anyway, and so they won't come to you. Um, so I, I'm. I mean, this is my response as a parent. I'm quite child-led, so I ask, I answer questions when um, my daughter asks like loads of questions. But so I'm quite, you know, a child. But I, you know, give her fairly fairly frank answers. But I suppose also praying about what is age appropriate. Um, um, but they are, you know, um, they're talking about it from reception. They're talking about naming body parts and knowing that people shouldn't touch you in certain places. And actually, giving children a vocabulary for that is helpful. It's not a nice conversation to have, but it is helpful um, because it's the um, the reality. And then in that conversation, you can bring that back to the why. Well, why? Because God's made you, and so you're really precious. Um, so that's not God's best for you. You're too precious for that to happen. So you can, you know, so so then there's faith conversations within that. Yeah. But yeah, it's a tricky one as a parent, isn't it? It's really helpful as a parent and as a youth leader. It's creating those contexts, isn't it, where you can have those conversations and stuff. And I'm always surprised at how young that is that they want to have those conversations. So, okay, how do you deal with the challenging verses in the Bible about the way women are treated, particularly in the stories where women seem to be valued entirely by their appearance? Do you have to go to verses, uh, sorry, do you have go to verses that help you process, combat that way of thinking? When you say being valued by their appearance, what are we talking about? So it's really difficult without the text. Um, I'm, I'm just going to put that. I assume they're talking about the letters of Paul, where he's arguing both for and against having Right. Uh, In terms of appearance, are we talking about head coverings? Head uh, coverings, that sort of thing. But at the right. same time, like a lot of that stuff is just taken completely out of context. Yeah, yeah. And so you're you're trying to argue scripture and equate without yeah. societal context and then also the fact that Paul argues against these things mm. consistently in those. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Thank you. Do I come up and join in? <laughs> I think that I think the context is really is really helpful. So reading those letters as a, as a woman, just finding out what is the context. But actually, my, the reason I was questioning where do we mean in terms of emphasising appearance? Because when I read all of Scripture, I don't I don't get a message of women's value is in their appearance. Actually, I get a message of women are made in God's image and he made them and said, you are good. He didn't say you are good and you, um, because you look good only. 
However, we also do, don't want to get to the other point of view where we're saying attraction is bad and, it, and it's not there because, you know, um, Adam met Eve and he was like, you're amazing. So there is something, so we don't want to get to the place where we're saying attraction is wrong and physical beauty isn't a real thing either. But I don't read all of scripture and see that women's value is in their appearance at, at all personally I see that there is a there is a real value for men and women as sons and daughters of God with a potential to um, be kingdom builders in partnership with with him but I'm not a theologian okay we're just gonna finish with this last question and then we'll kind of text out on on replies to the to the other questions that have come through so can you just make comment on how we can help restrict the supply of pornography uh, within churches so just how we could do that with with young people and just generally kind of yeah any good things resources that kind of stuff just to help into that area in terms of resources, I think I'd want to sort of muse on that um, a little bit. I think the underlying thing I would say with this issue is we need to name it, we need to talk about it, because strategies are are good, but only to a certain point. Because unless you have surrendered yourself to God, unless you are going after him, then you know, having the best strategy in the world is going to make no difference because you're still going to go back to whatever you put in place. You can still download a porn app. Having said that, um, when we were in the tough question session yesterday, um, Rebecca Walker said something uh, that I found was, was really helpful that actually you can, young people can share and she's seen young people sharing um, passwords so they can be accountable to each other and see each other's content. So I didn't know you, you could do that. So that's quite cool. I know of guys who've done something similar in terms of their sharing, checking each other's internet histories. So there's those sorts of things. So I think being, being talking about those kinds of things, naming that, talking really openly about, um, about porn in a way that doesn't make people feel ashamed because it's such a, um, it's such a reality. Creating those spaces, um, but then pointing to God, because any of those strategies, whatever program you have, it, it won't work unless there's a heart change. I love that. Really, really important. Um, I think particularly accountability as well. I mean, I know I have um, X3 watch on my phone. I have Covenant Eyes on my laptop, things like that. Just really helpful and just kind of enable kind of things to be restricted and that kind of stuff and, and conversations to be had with people that you're kind of accountability partners and stuff with as well so they're really helpful so there's some really good resources out there as well right we are going to finish there let's uh, thank emma again